Good morning, New Life. <laughs> we are very glad that you made the effort to come join us today, whether you are here in person and we get to see your face, or you're watching online, or joining us on the patio. We're just glad that you are um, choosing to worship with us today. If you are new, or if you've been here a hundred times, please make sure that you get a church bulletin. It is just full of information of everything that's coming up. One of the things that you'll see in there is happening today, and that is Crash Course. So if you want to know more about new life and the way God is working here, the way that you can be a part of it, Crash Course is the best way to do that. And way back, I'll pretend that I'm really old, way back when I did Crash Course, you had to come four weeks in a row, and it was like two hours each time, and they didn't feed you. So now you only have to come one time, and they feed you, and there's childcare if you have little ones that need looking after during that. So if you want to come today, it's after the second service. Just go home and relax for a little bit after this service. Go run a couple errands, and then come back, and we'll feed you and tell you more about New Life. Another thing you may have been handed as you were coming in today is a little um, kind of business card size piece of paper. And it has the memory verse that we're going to work together as we're going through this new series. So um, it has on one side the full verse written out. And on the other side, it has just the first letter of each word. So there's kind of two different ways. If you love, if you're a pen and paper type of person, I get that. You can kind of tape it by your car ignition. So every time you're about to start the car, every time you turn it off, just take a second to practice it. Um, if you are someone who grabs your phone 500 times a day, I get that too. Um, there is a way you can scan the QR code on the bulletin and it will take you to where there's pictures of the verse and you can save them to your phone and make them your background. So every time you pick up your phone, before you unlock it, practice the verse real quick and you'll get it in like an hour. Um, so. Thank you again for being here. If you're brand new, we also have a present for you. So please come visit one of the connection counters. There are two inside by each door and one on the patio. So come say hi and just let us know that you're visiting. Okay, as we get ready to worship, just say hi to someone around you and go ahead and stand. Promises are yes and amen. 
you have a seat for just a moment you know when we sing when we gather together and we sing these songs especially when you declare something so significant like I exalt you Lord I'm reminded of a couple of things I'm reminded that when we declare I exalt you Lord or we cry out you are worthy or we celebrate that Jesus is king of our hearts so many times we find ourselves uttering those words when we're on the mountaintop, right? 
Like those are the moments where it's the easiest to say that. It's the easiest to say, God, I exalt you because my life is great and everything is awesome and you're worthy of my praise because the blessing is coming and I got the answer from the doctor that I wanted or any number of things where you find yourself exalting and praising the name of Jesus. But this past week and really over the past several weeks, I'm reminded that Jesus isn't worthy of our worship and worthy of our exaltation just on the mountaintop but in the most challenging moments as well. And so your New Life team and your New Life staff have had a really challenging week this week. Um, over the last several months, uh, myself and the church board, we've been monitoring, monitoring kind of where things were financially as we've been in an incredibly transitional time over the last several years kind of following kind of the post-COVID moments of our, of our world. And this past week, and working with our church board, I made the difficult decision that we needed to reduce the amount of staff members that we have here at New Life by eight individuals. I know that can feel shocking and it's challenging. And it's not just one thing, and I'm gonna get into some details here a little bit later, but this isn't about the details. This is about, I wanna pray for our people. I wanna pray for these individuals and these families that are gonna be impacted. I wanna pray that God will just, his hand will rest upon them. And I know he's got them and I know he has new life. And again, I sit here and I'm going through this week and we're talking about all the things that are happening, all the things where we see God on the move. And again, those are the easy places to exalt God. But I'm reminded in this moment, it's, he is still worthy of our praise. He's still worthy of our exaltation. More than anything, because I know that he has gone before us. This did not catch him off uh, by surprise. This is not something that he was unaware of that was going to need to transpire. And he has already gone forward, not only for new life, but for these individuals that will be impacted. Laying the groundwork, providing the provision that they're gonna need. I'm trusting in that. And so would you just bow your heads for a moment and would you pray with me? And pray for these individuals and pray for the impact it's gonna have on their lives. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you. We come to you, God, when we don't have a lot of answers. We come to you, God, when we're frustrated. We come to you when, when God, it just feels like in some ways, it feels like you're silent sometimes. But God, we know that you're not. We trust and believe and have faith that you're not. That you're at work behind the scenes doing things that we can't yet see. That you're providing and you're laying the groundwork and you're paving the way in order to make sure that God, in the end, you are always glorified and your name is lifted high. And so God, I'll be honest, this week I've, I've just had to kind of renew my surrender to you. That I don't just declare that you're king in my heart, I don't just declare that I'm surrendered to you in one or two or three areas, God, but it's all of me. Every aspect, everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I think, wherever I am going, it is all yours.
God, I also pray for those that are in this congregation right now who are experiencing their own valley. Whether it's through a medical diagnosis, whether it's through a, a difficult relationship, God, I know that we don't gather in spaces like this without individuals that are walking through incredibly challenging moments. This happens to be our moment. But God, we lift up these individuals. We ask God that your hand would rest upon them. God, we pray that even just throughout the service that they would experience your peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding, that they would sense your presence, that you would wrap your arms around them. Not because it's easy to experience comfort in this moment, but because God, you are still king and you still sit on the throne. God, we love you. We praise you. Not just when we're on the mountaintop. We praise you in the valley, in the challenging moments, because you are worthy of our praise. We ask all these things in Jesus' powerful and mighty name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand again and Again, maybe you were worshiping from a posture of just celebration for most of the service. And I just encourage you to praise from a posture that says, God, it's yours. All of it. All of what you're going through personally, all of what we are experiencing at New Life, everything is yours. You have it all. Would you worship with us this morning? Uh-huh. 
You're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. Just make that a declaration. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. We press through. You're never gonna let. You're never gonna let me down. Just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. Just wanna bless your heart, God. So I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, love, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you It's all about you It's 
all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. So gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you, God, we do in this moment what you call us to do every day, to place our trust and our hope and our confidence in you. It is truly one of those moments where what we know in our head has to make its way to its heart, to our hearts. And so teach us, God. Teach us to walk with you in greater and deeper ways. And we are trusting that we will discover more about your character and your nature and your provision and your care and your comfort and your peace in this moment. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. Would you have a seat for just a moment? And, and again, I want to be able to provide some details this morning, but also know that if you are a regular tender of New Life and you get our weekly um, e-news and things of that nature, um, we'll be sending out an email uh, this morning that will kind of give you details um, of kind of how things transpired, as well as um, if you do not receive that, you can simply just stop by the Connection Central before you leave, and we'd love to, to add you to that list, and we'll make sure that you receive that as well. I think that, um, first and foremost, my concern is for those individuals that are going to be impacted. Um, I was able to meet with them uh, this week and pray with them and encourage them. This is not, I reminded them, this is not a value decision. Um, this is a, a resource decision, and, and so that makes it really, really difficult because most of the people that are going to be impacted uh, by these uh, decisions um, are individuals that you will never see on the platform but have a vital importance behind the scenes and are deeply loved by our New Life team. And so these are friends. And it's a little bit different than, and again, I understand that every business says that people are friends, but it's, can I just tell you, it's just different when it comes to being a part of the church and how we handle these things are different, which is um, important for me to make sure that these individuals know that they're cared for and that we do our best to care for them as they transition and that they are able to take their best next step into whatever the next season looks like for them. So um, that's really, really important. Uh, I know my mind's gonna be everywhere, so I apologize. I just, I wanna make sure I, I hit on some some important things. Um, kind of starting in 2020, it's been a unique time in the life of the church, right? And so we, we know, knew going through 2020 and 2021 and 2022 that there was gonna be some ebb and flow and some transition and the church looks different. I was able to gather with some of my peers and uh, have some meetings and, and conversations with them. And, and uh, it's interesting how many churches are experiencing uh, this kind of post-COVID transition. And it's, it's a unique time in the life of the church. And so, um, you know, 
it's, it's one of those uh, particular moments where we've seen this transition, we've seen some of this ebb and flow happening. And actually, um, in November, uh, we were quite encouraged about that the finances felt like they were stabilizing, even in the midst of a difficult economy and inflation. And as I've talked with some of my peers around the country, I can tell you that us as Californians have probably experienced a little bit more of that stretching of our finances than other states uh, where the cost of living isn't quite as high. And so in November, we were very hopeful that, hey, things are stabilizing and, and things are looking like they're turning in the right direction. Uh, the challenge is that in December, over, if you look at, we um, unfortunately have to base our, our, our budgeting on trends because uh, giving is kind of has ebb and flow to it. And so we know that kind of the three, out of a three-year trend, that the, um, the majority, or I shouldn't say the majority, 22% of our yearly budget comes in in the months of December and January. And so nearly 22% of, our, of what we need for our budget comes in those two months as people do end of the year giving and things of that nature. And so as we saw things stabilizing in November, we were encouraged that, hey, if things trend in that direction like they have over the last several years, then we should um, find ourselves having some good stability as we go into the new budget year. And the challenge is, is that for most of us, um, if you, uh, if you, um, a lot of end-of-the-year giving is through the stock market or stock market gifts and things of that nature, which are wonderful and they're a blessing. But if you've looked at your stock market uh, accounts lately and you know the inflation and the difficulty that we've had in our economy, um, that impacted our end-of-the-year giving and we fell short of that number that we needed to get to. And so we had to account for about $240,000 as we go into the new budget year um, and, and plan to figure out how we were going to reduce uh, $240,000 out of our budget, as well as over the last three years, because things have been tighter, we have deferred maintenance, and that's the reality of the situation. So this isn't just like a one thing. There's like multiple things happening all at the same time, and we recognize that we're, we have to be... Um, we have to be accountable for those things. And then last but not least, and really something that's a, real, a driving uh, part of this decision, um, and I will own this aspect of it, uh, we always want to place ministry first. And so the reason we do that is because when you give sacrificially, we want to make sure that those dollars are going towards uh, ministry within our local church, in our community, and around the world. And so we place a precedent on your sacrificial giving going towards ministry. And so we actually have, um, you know, continued to do that even though that we knew that things were getting tighter because we believe that it's important to utilize those dollars for ministry work in our local church, in our community, and around the world. And so with that in mind, um, we had to come to the conclusion that we had to make some difficult decisions. Um, with the transition and with kind of a different attendance flow even uh, kind of post-COVID, we recognize that while we might have, um, you know, nearly uh, two, you know, maybe 2,000 people, 2,500 people that call New Life their church home, that not everybody comes every single week in the ebb and flow, we have more people joining us online than ever before. So there's kind of all kinds of these dynamics that are going into uh, why we are seeing uh, some difficulty. At the same time, you know, we're recognizing that there are some really good signs. Um, we actually are seeing 400, more than 400 people more this year gather on site and be a part of New Life than we did last year. 
Um, we are sending nearly 150 uh, students gathering weekly at our student ministry. Our 9 a.m. service for our kids' ministry is beginning to be stretched, and specifically our nursery, nursery and toddlers. Apparently, um, you know, people are having babies. Um, <laughs> So there are, there are things that are happening that are really good. We've been able to continue and we made a priority to continue our pantry. Um, but, and we are serving um, well over um, uh, hundred, Carrie, you can tell me, I'm sorry, 100 and, 150 families just this past week that we were able to serve through our pantry. Um, we were able to partner with, um, with Billy in, in, in doing uh, global uh, ministry in, in India and in planting churches through the Church of Nazarene around the world. So those things are really, really great. It just means that we have to think critically about how we're stewarding those resources. Now, one of the things um, uh, that we also learned during this process, and this hasn't been something that just kind of came about in the last month, we've been making a plan and we kind of had a trigger point of when we were gonna have to make some difficult decisions um, and in working with our church board. And uh, one of the things that we discovered uh, during this process, uh, and you might be asking yourself, hey, how can we as a, a congregation help? How can we be a part of this solution? And one of the things that we discovered is that um, we have about 15% of um, our new lifers fueling 98% of uh, the ministry that goes on here. And so that is, um, I, I, I think you know, there's a variety of reasons for that. Some of it is, again, it's a really tough economy right now, and so some people are finding themselves um, really stretched. And some of it is the fact that we know that, um, and I've had conversations with people, that New Life is looked at as a large church, and hey, you know what, there's plenty of people here, and so um, you know, it's, it's not something that I, I can give to other places, but you know, I, don't, I don't ever consider um, maybe giving to New Life. And if I can encourage you in something, one of the reasons why Dana and I um, have New Life as our primary giving is that when you give to New Life, you make an impact from kids to seniors. You make an impact in our local church, in our community, and around the world. And my, um, and I know this, this sounds very self-serving right now, but in my opinion, there's no place that you can give, and I won't even just say this about New Life, the local church is a place where you can give, and when those uh, resources are stewarded well, you can make an incredible impact, not only in the church, in your local community, but around the world. And so um, with that in mind, one of the goals that we've set, um, and you know my heartbeat for being the body of Christ. You know, you had the last two weeks, you had Pastor Philip bring an incredible message last week. Two weeks ago, you had Pastor Gina. I want everybody using their giftedness. This isn't about Pastor David and being the, you know, the uh, senior pastor-centric church, but this is about the body of Christ. And so one of the things that the Lord has just prompted me to talk to you about is how can we be the body of Christ in this particular area? And so if we're at 15% of, people, of our new lifers fueling 98% of the ministry here, how can we get to, um, you know, by the time we begin our fiscal year in June, what would happen if we got to 30%? What if we doubled that? And just consistent giving. What if you um, began to, and we began to seek the Lord and said, hey, Lord, how, how would you have me be a part of the solution? How would you um, invite me to begin to um, consistently give on a, on a regular basis so that we can uh, see us move from that 15% to that 30%? Because I know that the Lord has a lot of ministry for us to do. I know that he has a lot of things that he has in store for us. And one of the reasons why, again, we, are, we wanna stabilize our finances is so that when the Lord asks us to do something, we can say yes. I never want resources to be like, God's calling us to do something, but we can't do it. 
God's calling us to step out in deeper, deeper waters, but we can't. And we do that in our own personal finances as well, right? We create margins so that when the Lord asks us to do something, that we have the ability to say yes to it. And so one of the reasons why we're stabilizing uh, finances in this particular way is because we wanna be able to say yes when the Lord calls us to do something. We wanna be able to step out into deeper waters. We wanna be able to ensure not only this generation and how we are able to do ministry, but the next generation and how they're able to do ministry, okay? So um, if you are interested in discovering more about giving, there's always on your, um, you can always go to our app and you can look at uh, uh, reoccurring giving on there. It's actually really helpful for us. I mean, again, we, we budget because there's ebb and flow. When you choose to be a reoccurring giver, it's way easier for us to budget and to have an accurate budget because we know exactly how many dollars are gonna be coming in over the year. It's much more challenging um, when, uh, when we don't know those things. So if you would consider, if you're um, someone who's gonna say, hey, I would love to be a part of that consistent giving solution and you would um, sign up for reoccurring uh, giving, that'd be awesome. If you're unfamiliar with how that works or how to do that, we do have individuals at our Connection uh, Central or as well in our office that can assist you in helping you do that. Now, I know that we've got um, new uh, people or new-ish people here today, and I know that, hey, I am just reaffirming um, the whole like money conversation when you come to church, right? Um, so I get that. I get that. Here's, here's what I hope, though. Here's what I hope. Um, many of us choose our churches because we love the music or the preaching or the kids' ministry or any number of things. We leave our churches for how they handle things. We leave our churches when we see them not handle things or not be transparent. And my prayer for you, and I know I'm not gonna get this all right. I know I'm gonna say things this morning and I know I'm gonna not be as clear as I wanna be. I know all that. And, uh, but, I, but I pray this, that through this process that you would know that there's transparency. That through this process, you would know that we are seeking the Lord not only as a staff, but also as the church board that you would know that we are going to, in the best of our ability, care for these individuals so that they can take the next step that they need to take. So that you know that we want to steward, our, steward your sacrificial giving in such a way that we maximize these resources so that they go and those dollars and cents and checks turn into changed lives and food on people's tables and churches planted around the world. That you would know that. And as difficult and challenging as it is to sometimes talk about the hard things in a family, I pray that you know, um, if you're a new person today, that this is the type of church that wants to have these type of tough conversations in an open way. And, uh, and, and I hope that um, as you see that, and as you watch how we navigate this, and as we hold each other accountable, and as we encourage each other, that you would be encouraged about new life and who we are as the people of God. So thank you for a few moments today to be able to share this. Again, that email is going to be going out. I'm making myself available. If you have very specific questions, um, you're at nine o'clock, so you get to take advantage of this. I'm gonna be right here at the front after service and would be more than happy to have, uh, if you have a specific question that you have, would love to be able to answer that question uh, here. If you wanna meet with me or Pastor Dan, who um, is in charge of our HR and our finances and works with the church board on that, we would love to meet with you uh, specifically if you have more specific questions um, and share with you um, those things. There's no good way to transition into the message. So um, here's what we're gonna do. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna pray, 
And then that passage that is gonna be our anchor text for today is gonna come on uh, the screen. And we're gonna ask the Lord to stir something in us today. Amen? Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father. Yeah. Gracious Heavenly Father. Search our hearts, oh God. Stir something within us. We have gathered together to meet you to hear from you, to stand in your presence and to be shaped and transformed further into your image. So God, as we open up your word today, may you place your heart and your spirit in us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Really quickly. I know, sorry. He's my boss, but here I am. I'm not supposed to be up here. (laughs) But hey, you just heard what he had to say. And I think one of the things that has been difficult is, if you know David, he is a man who loves people and cares about people's hearts. And being in some of the meetings and talking to those that we love and making this transition, it's been tough. And so sitting there, listening, watching, I want to lift him up. Because not only is this a a movement he's had to make right now, this is going to have like a couple weeks, if not further, conversations and feelings and just still checking in on all those who are not going to be with us on staff, but are going to be here at the church. And we want to love them well. But we all know that David carries most of that burden, even though we're here to help him. And so I just want to lift him up right now. Because remember, he and his family came here with no desire to look for a job or to be in California for that matter. And here he is. <laughs> all right? So let's lift him up. Lord, I just thank you for David. I thank you for his willingness to to just be your hands and feet, to follow you, to, to take this moment, Lord, to be transparent. And Lord, we lift him up because I know his heart, I know that today's not easy. I know conversations have not been easy. I know trying to love and also give uh, difficult news is tough, Lord. And so, Father, we lift him up to you. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would surround him, fill his family, fill his home, protect him. Lord, also give him the words of love, of truth, and what you are doing here at New Life Church. We thank you, Lord, for his willingness to lead us, to be a shepherd, to guide us, and to also be humble enough, Lord, to say this is just hard, and this is a difficult time, but we love him, and may he feel your love, and may we be a congregation that lifts him up, and remember that we are all doing the best we know how to do in worshiping you. So we give him to you in Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, if you guys would like to come forward um, at this time also, and then we'll also play the video. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So whether you've gathered here today or whether you're joining us online, we, today we begin a brand new series and the anchor verse for this particular series comes from the book of Ezekiel. If you're not sure where Ezekiel is, Ezekiel is in the Old Testament or the first half of the Bible if you find your way to Lamentations, which is a book that you probably don't like very much. Um, 
but then right near there, you're gonna find Ezekiel, and we're gonna be in Ezekiel chapter 36, and we're gonna be anchored in that text, but we'll be pulling and, and looking at other texts from around scripture throughout this series. And as I was studying this text and as I was thinking um, about where the Lord would have us go, I began to think about this really real challenge that we have as those who follow after Jesus. And, and that's simply this. We find ourselves getting to the point where we are about behavior modification. Like, like that becomes the, the thing that we are most focused on because we believe if we can change our behavior, then that means that we are transformed. And we become really good at monitoring, monitoring our behaviors, but at the expense of not monitoring our hearts. Let me say that again. We become really skilled at monitoring our behaviors, but at the expense of not monitoring our hearts. And so what happens when we are focused more on monitoring our behavior than our hearts is that we become really good at self-discipline. And so you can manage and you can navigate your way through life and you can navigate your way through relationships and you can navigate through some of the, some of the, the uh, normal moments of life monitoring your behavior until you can't. Until all of a sudden there is a hole in the framework, until all of a sudden something happens and you realize, whoa, I'm not as transformed as I thought I was. I was able to keep everything under control. I was able to keep everything tight. I was able to keep everything in order. And then something happened and then all of a sudden all that behavior modification went out the window and I said something I wish I wouldn't have said or I did something I wish I wouldn't have done or I went back to an addiction that I thought I had already dealt with. And so we get really good at monitoring our behavior, but we're not always good at monitoring our heart. The second thing that happens when, when we find ourselves um, kind of moving in this direction is that we become complacent, right? Like when we aren't focused in on our heart, it's easy to become complacent. And there's this term that a pastor uh, coined uh, many years ago. It's called practical atheism that we would find ourselves saying that we believe in God. We would have the head knowledge that we believe in God, but it's never transformed our heart. That we would have the head knowledge that we believe in God, but it's never actually made its way to impacting us. And when it comes to this idea of behavior modification, can I just tell you something? It reminds me a little bit of my dog, Royce. So I know I'm gonna probably receive emails and stuff. Just know that we are kind to our dog, but we... He does wear a correction collar. We took him to obedience school and he wears his correction collar. And it's been great because it's a way of communicating with the dog. That's what they tell you at least when, they, when you go to the behavior school, right? It's a way of communicating with the dog. That way, because the dog, some of you try to you know, train your dog. You're like, hey there, Royce, how you doing? That dog has no clue what you're saying to them, right? And so the correction collar is designed to have a couple of commands designed with a correction so that when that dog disobeys or you want them to do something, that they learn how to modify their behavior so they actually do what you want them to do. And that works most of the time until a squirrel comes along, <laughs> right? Until something happens and it can just be an overload of emotions and an overload of distractions and all of a sudden that dog, no matter what kind of collar you have on there, will take off or will do something completely out of what his, what his controlled behavior is, is because something else took over. And I think we're similar, right? 
We have these moments where we have everything under control and then all of a sudden we lose that self-discipline. We have these moments where we think that everything's going along well and we become complacent and then something happens and we realize that we have been operating in complacency rather than transformation. We have these moments also where I think that sometimes we just think when we fail in those behavior modifications, we get defeated. And we think, you know what, this Christianity thing, this God thing, this transformation thing, it must be for everybody but me. Because I just can't seem to get my arms around this. I can't seem to figure out how to do this. And all three of these types of things are actually present in the book of Ezekiel as Israel is kind of trying to figure out what it means to be the people of God. There is self-discipline happening in the book of Ezekiel because they have the law and the law is designed to give them the self-discipline in order to be, for God to be their God and for them to be God's people. And the law works until it doesn't. The law works until all of a sudden some temptation or something or some uh, desire overtakes and we begin to move in that direction. And so it's easy to say, hey, here is the law. Operate in this way until we find ourselves in failure. Complacency. And the people of Israel were dealing with complacency in the in the empire of Babylon, they find themselves not only kind of questioning, are they really the people of God, but they find themselves doing this. Babylon gets kind of comfortable for some of them. You're like, Babylon's comfortable? Yeah, for some of them. See, they take jobs in Babylon. They buy houses in Babylon. They start to make money in Babylon. And all of a sudden, when you th they begin thinking, hey, you know what, that promised land thing and this law thing and being God's people, I don't know, that sounds really difficult. It actually seems a lot easier to kind of have one foot in Babylon and one foot in the kingdom of God and kind of live and try to live in both worlds. And for some of them also, the third area comes into play, defeat. Because they look around and they say, God, you promised this, but I don't see this promise coming to fruition. So maybe I was wrong. Or maybe you can't do what you said you were gonna do. And there is a defeatism that enters in. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, all of a sudden, the people of God, and God basically says this to them, you have become a mockery. Because you, because you are not living this transformed life, because you are not, not leaning into being the people of God, you have become a mockery to the nations. And this is really key because when the people of God become a mockery to the nations, guess who else becomes a mockery to the nations? God. Because we bear his name. So when we bear the name of the Lord, when we are the people of God, when we become a mockery, then all of a sudden God becomes a mockery. And I was checked on this and I know I'm gonna step on some toes this morning and I know this is gonna be difficult to hear, but I think it's really important for us to consider. This is not just a word for Israel. This is a word for the American church. Because when we become a mockery, when we look more like the world than we do like the people of God, when we try to align ourselves, just like some people in Israel did, with the political powers that are, that are at work, we become a mockery. Think about this. When people mention the name Christian in our current culture, what comes to their mind? And what would it look like 
And if that's, if what comes to their mind is not glorifying of God, then what comes to their mind when they think about God? See, these things are intertwined intentionally that we would be God's people and he would be our God. That when people look at the nation of Israel, that they would understand who God is. When, they, when people look at the church, that they would understand who God is and who Jesus is. And so God comes along and he says, hey, here's what's gonna happen. We're not gonna just deal with behavior modification. We're not just gonna deal with complacency. This is what's gonna happen. I am going to do something in you that will radically transform your life. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now, when I read this passage, and I'm gonna date myself here, all I honestly can think of is Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom. (laughs) Because literally, I'm like, I think we wanna make this like a really nice, clean image and be like, oh, isn't that sweet? Like, God wants to take from me my heart of stone and place in me the heart of flesh. And I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. No, this is gonna be challenging. Right? Like, like, think about it. Some of you who have seen that movie know it's like, oh, rip that. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not getting too graphic this morning, but you know what I'm talking about. This is messy, difficult, challenging things. And so let's break down this passage. It says this, God will give you. That means it's something that God is going to do. And that giving you of a new heart is based on his sovereignty and his ability. So this is not like, hey, is I know some of you struggle with this. Will God really give me a new heart? Does he know what I've done? Does he know how dirty it is? Are you sure that he would actually do that? Here's the good news. It's not based on you. It's based on his declaration and it's based on his promise to you. It's based on his sovereignty over you. He is not saying, I'm I'm taking this heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh because you're a good, nice person. He's saying, because you are far from me, because you can't do this life on your own, because you can't be redeemed and restored, I am gonna take from you this heart of stone and I am going to place in you a heart of flesh, amen? And so this is not something that is based on you. This is something that's based on God's sovereignty. The second thing you need to know is that this isn't, this isn't based on, now there are other places within scripture, let me be careful here. There are other places within scripture that talk about God and how much he loves you and wants to save you. Plenty of places like that, but Ezekiel's not one of them. Ezekiel is not one of them. God is doing this because of his holiness and because of his glory. He is not doing this because he loves you. He is doing this because he wants everybody to know that he is God and you are not. That's literally what's happening here. And so when God does this in us, again, it's not based on us, it's based on who he is. And then here's the second part of it. He wants everybody to know that he's the only one that can do this. Literally, that's what's happening. He's like, hey, I'm gonna take from you this heart of stone. I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh so that when the nations look at you, they know that there's only one God. So when we operate on our own self-discipline, we rob God of that glory. When we operate in our own complacency, 
we rob God of the power that he actually has. He wants to do this. This is his desire. The second part of this passage is that it's new. See, some of you think that it's just a revised version of your old self, a little bit better. No, he says, I am going to give you a new heart and I am going to give you a new spirit. Now, those two words are synonymous in this text. So if you were reading in the Hebrew, they would be like, it would be like redundant almost, okay? So he's giving you a new heart and a new heart. He's gonna give you a new spirit and a new spirit. So like, that's what he is talking about in this particular text, that these are uh, like synonyms or almost a redundant um, uh, verbiage here. And so there's also an implication that guess what? As good as you think you are, you have a heart of stone. Let me, let me say that again. As good as we think we are, we have a heart of stone. So there's not like, as some people fall into this trap, and again, this is that practical atheism. Well, I'm a pretty good person, so I'll just believe in God, but I'll kind of live my life however. No, he's saying, you have a heart of stone, therefore I need to take from you this heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And you're like, no, 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 but I'm a really good person. You are until you're not. You are until you're not. And that's the problem is that we get so comfortable in thinking that, man, we're really good people and not realizing that God actually wants to transform us. Because at the center of the heart, at the center of the spirit that's being referred to is human decision-making, is the human will, is how we operate in this world. Romans chapter eight, write it down, go and spend some time in it. Begin to ask yourself, hey, is this the type of transformation? Like, have I literally, am I operating in the flesh or am I operating in the spirit? Am I operating in my own will or am I operating in God's will? Luke chapter six, Jesus is talking and people are like, and he basically, and he just sits here and says, hey, out of your heart, right? Out of your heart is, is where everything is birthed. So if your heart isn't dealt with, you can behavior modify yourself all day long. But if your heart isn't dealt with, your sin and brokenness will find its way. And so I wanna introduce a term and remind you of the term. Salvation is about what... The, is about the forgiveness that the Lord has done for you because of what you have done. Salvation is forgiveness for what the heart has done. Sanctification gives the heart a new epicenter for how to make decisions and how to operate in this world and how to walk in the ways of God. So salvation is this, hey, my heart has been a part of sin and brokenness and it is Christ's redeeming blood that forgives me and his sacrifice that forgives me so that I, so that I don't have to pay the penalty for myself for the sins that I have done. Sanctification is Jesus has walked out of the tomb and because he has done that, there is power and victory over sin in your life. You do not have to give in to sin. You sin because you choose to. 
And too many of us live in this defeat. Does that mean that we're perfect? Some of you just heard, that means we're perfect. Nope, it doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we're perfect. It, it means that my ears have to begin tuning. We'll talk about this in a moment. My ears have to begin tuning to this new heart of flesh. There's a new rhythm. Boom, 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 boom. And I gotta go, oh, that's the Jesus rhythm. And I've been, I've been operating in the me rhythm and the David rhythm and the sin rhythm. And I wanna start operating in the Jesus rhythm. And so this new heart of flesh will give us a hope and a future. This new, as, as we learn in Jeremiah, you guys know that one, right? Jeremiah chapter 29, right? Verse 11, like you're like, I want a hope and a future. If you want a hope and a future, God has to take that heart of stone and place in you a heart of flesh. So that you can have a new rhythm. And that does require discipline. Or at the very least, if you don't like the word discipline, intentionality to go, what's the new rhythm? See, some of you are still dancing to the old rhythm. Some of you are still dancing to the old rhythm. Some of us are still dancing to the old rhythm. And God said, I've got a new beat for you to dance to. I would dance, but that's more Pastor Phillips' vibe, not mine. <laughs> you don't wanna see that. But tuning our, our desires require tuning. My piano, we had some of Zave's soccer team over and all of a sudden one of the boys sits down at the piano and it was like the, the whole house, like there's like 20 boys in there, teenage boys. And this boy sits down at the piano and starts playing ridiculously and it went quiet and everybody gathered around the piano. They were shocked that this soccer player could literally jam out on the piano. And then I had to apologize because he was hitting the right keys, but our piano is out of tune. <laughs> See, some of us think that we're, some of us think that we're hitting all the right keys, but we're all out of tune because we haven't yet allowed the spirit to tune our hearts. And you know this in other areas of your life. If you don't, if you, if you go from, uh, if you don't tune your heart to godly singleness, it will destroy you, right? Like if you don't, if you don't have, if you're in a season of singleness in your life right now and you don't tune your heart to what godly singleness looks like, it will destroy you. And if you go from singleness to married life and you still are in singleness, that will destroy your marriage. And if you don't tune your heart to parenting, if you go from marriage to parent, that, all of this, if you don't tune your heart to these new seasons that you have, it will destroy you. You will consistently think you're hitting the right notes, but you will be out of tune the entire time. The Lord says in verse 28, you will be my people and I will be your God. See, that's what he wants. Do you know in the early church, this is not how things went down in the early church. They said, hey, you know what? We've got a, we've got a bring your friend to church Sunday at our church. We've got the best preacher. We've got awesome kids ministry. We've got great student ministries. Our, our music is the best in town. You need to come and be a part of what we're, we've got the best coffee. We've got snacks afterwards. Like that is why you, do you know in the early church that's not how it happened? 
You know how it happened? People would come to you in secret most of the time and say, there's something different about you. There's something different about you. It wasn't about promoting the best programming. It was about the fact that people looked at those who were followers of Jesus and they saw a radical transformation in their life. And they say, and they would say, man, if God did that in you, how does he do that in me? And can I be honest? Those were the stories that brought me to faith. I, did, I went to a, like the very first church I, I, I went to with my parents, there was about 90 people there. And on Sunday evenings, you know what, what and, and there was no kids ministry. Like parents just kind of did it or whatever. There, there was no snacks. The carpet was orange, it was like burnt orange. The pews were hard. But you know what happened? People showed up in there and they came through those doors one way They had an encounter with Jesus Christ. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to live an entirely different way. And people said, I want that. I want my life to look like that. I want my life to be transformed. Church, if we're not gonna be a mockery of the name of God, we have to ask ourselves, Lord, will you just transform us? So that when other people look at us, they don't see us, they see Jesus that we truly would be the body of Christ, Jesus's physical presence still here on earth. So why do we struggle? Why do we struggle? Well, new goes from exciting to the mundane. See, Jesus, you encounter Jesus like, oh, this is awesome. But then he wants to get into the nitty gritty of your life. And then we're like, ooh, Jesus, that's too much. Second thing, new is difficult. New is difficult. Sometimes it's difficult because even though our messy, fearful, addicted, broken lives are are awful, they're easy. Like what I mean by that is we don't have to, like we just let them kind of happen. It just kind of happens to us. And transformation requires surrender and it requires spending time with the Lord and it requires allowing him to tune our hearts and it requires allowing him to chisel away the things that don't look like him and replace it, the stone in our life that doesn't look like him and replace it with the flesh that does look like him in his spirit. And then third, I think for some people, they say new's enough. I'm new enough. Now that's great. That's how we operate when we purchase cars. It's new enough. But Jesus didn't come so that you could be new enough. He came so that you could be fully alive. He came so that you could operate in the victory and the power of the spirit. And I think we have an epidemic in the church. Do you know in the book of Ephesians that we're told that we have the armor of God? that we get to place on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of light righteousness and to put the gospel of peace on our feet and we have the sword of the spirit. Like, did you know that? Here's what I think is happening though. We have spiritual streakers in the church. 
seriously, like, like we literally, we're like, helmet of salvation, woo! Let's go running. <laughs> and we don't put anything else on. No, no breastplate of righteousness, no sword of the spirit, no gospel of peace, nothing, no belt of truth around us. We just streaking around saying, look at my salvation helmet. God has so much more for you. And when we do that, when we don't armor up and when we don't experience the full transformation that God has for us, do you know how we then also operate? We run from stuff rather than to Jesus. Because when you're not armored up, all you're thinking about is how fear and hurt and pain and addiction and all that kind of stuff can still overcome you. And so you're so worried that you've got these, these vulnerable places in you because you're like, man, I haven't allowed God to do the real transformation in me. And I know that my fear and my past and my addiction and my mess and all that kind of stuff, it's gonna catch up to me. And we are fixated on what, is, what we're running from rather than being fixated on who we're running to. And Jesus is saying, would you just focus in on me? Would you let me to do, the, do the transformation in your life? Would you let me restore your life? Would you let me bring my salvation? Would you let me place my spirit in you and my heart in you? Would you let me change you? And for some of you sitting here this morning, that is a radical transformation, meaning you're not following Jesus at all. And, and you're like, hey, I, I, want to, I want Jesus to take my heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. I want his forgiveness in my life. Can I tell you that he can do that for you this morning? For others, you are way more like that spiritual streaker. You have fallen into complacency or practical atheism, or you have found yourself being so self-dependent that you've never experienced the transformation that comes with allowing the spirit to take control of your life. Like control, I don't, I'm in control. No, 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 when you become a follower of Jesus, you are no longer in control, it is God that's in control. And he wants to place his armor on you. And so the team's gonna sing the song and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit, I don't care where you are, I don't care if you've been following Jesus, never, like you, you haven't even started following him yet or you've been following for a hundred years. I don't care where you are. I believe that God wants to speak to every single one of us this morning and say, will you stop running from stuff? You know that one area that you can't, you, will you stop running from that? And will you start running to Jesus and let him be the one that deals with it? You think you're just gonna outpace your addiction. You think you're just gonna outpace that relationship. You're gonna outpace whatever that thing is in your life. You won't, it will eventually catch you. So stop running from it. Start running to Jesus and allow him to fight the battle for you. So Heavenly Father, as we sing this song, would your Holy Spirit just have its way? Would you have your way, Holy Spirit? Would you shape our hearts? Would you take from us that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh? We ask these things in Jesus' name.
If you want to just commit to stepping out of fear and stepping into trust of the Lord, we just want to give you an opportunity to make that known and to make that public, to show your family members and the rest of this body that you are committed to surrendering that fear to the foot of Jesus. And so we're going to sing this bridge that fear is not my future, you are. And what we want you to step into is just trust. So there's a place here at the church we call the altar, and that's the front of the platform. And so on the count of three in a moment, I'm just gonna count to three. And on three, if you would just commit to saying, I'm not gonna be a person who lives in fear. I wanna be a person who just trusts fully and surrenders to the Lordship of Christ. Then we wanna make that declaration. We wanna make that dedication this morning. We wanna make it known so that we can pray for you, okay? So you can come up to the altar and if it's not practical, then just take a posture at your seat that shows that you're surrendering with your hands raised. Maybe you kneel at your seat, whatever that looks like. But God, we trust you as the author and perfecter of our faith and we trust you. And so we're declaring that fear is not my future, you are. 
So if you wanna make that commitment, I'm gonna count to three. Father, we trust you. One, two, three. Yeah. 